This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, November 30th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, voodoo rents come into focus. New insurance program sees high demand. Norwood Noel Night celebrates local artisans. And a mountain weather forecast. Ideas around rent, the lottery, and pet policy for the voodoo housing development are starting to take shape. This week, the Telluride Housing Authority subcommittee met to discuss the project and recommendations that town council will eventually need to approve. First, when it comes to rent, the subcommittee is recommending setting rent a bit higher than other housing projects. The subcommittee is recommending rent range from 100 to 150 of the area median income. That puts rents ranging from $1,876 per month for a studio or one bedroom to $3,616 per month for a three bedroom. Town Council and Subcommittee member Adrian Christie notes the rent may initially seem high, but based on the lower rents of other projects, it makes sense. When I opened up the packet and looked at the table of monthly rents, I was like, whoa. But at the same time, (laughs) if we have a plan for ourselves that we're going to be in this range and that range is appropriate based on our population and data, then those are easier pills to swallow when it fits into the community. When it comes to who will get to live in the housing development, the subcommittee plans to move forward with a lottery process. But the committee also plans to set aside a maximum of three units for town employees. Several members of the committee also want to set aside a unit for a mental health professional. But reserving a unit specifically for a mental health provider doesn't sit quite right with Councilmember Dan Enright. It feels a little wrong to just single out one admittedly deserving organization while ignoring all the other deserving organizations as well. And that's, that's my struggle with it is absolutely. We need more mental health professionals in this this town and they deserve help, but we also need more teachers and firefighters and artists and all, all these other things. Council member Geneva Shawnette disagrees. I think that this is, I mean, I totally respect where Dan is coming from. I don't think we're ignoring other organizations, but this is like a crisis um, life and death situation for many people where teaching is not um, in the same way. And I think that uh, we need to take a bold stand on this. And this is part of our goals and objectives. Um, And it's one unit. And I think that uh, if we open it to everyone, we're going to be in meetings with hearing presentations and pleading from people. And if maybe we are not totally united on this opinion, but like I'm 100% think we need one unit for a mental health professional. I don't want to get into the minutiae with everyone else. The committee decided to reserve one unit for a mental health professional, along with the three, four town staff. So with a 27-unit project and four units set aside, that's only 23 left for the lottery. Mayor Delaney Young notes, that's not a lot given the demand. For 151 or two, because I can't remember the number, potential households who applied for Sunnyside. Outside of rent and the lottery, the subcommittee plans to recommend allowing pets in the development with a specific policy coming soon. 
None of the points up for discussion are final. Recommendations could change, and town council will need to approve the recommendations before they become official. The housing subcommittee will discuss subsidies, budget, and schedule for the Voodoo Project at its next meeting on December 7th. This year, Colorado marked a milestone when it opened up a pathway for undocumented residents to get affordable health insurance. The program, which is called OmniSalud and is being rolled out across the state this fall, is the product of legislation from earlier in the year. The Director of Care Coordination for Tri-County Health, Amy Rowan, says this is the first time the undocumented community has had access to health insurance. Colorado is the first state that has opened up insurance um, to immigrants who are undocumented. Um, it came about through a bill that was passed. Um, there's a board that has put together the funding. So it's not state funding. It's not federal funding. It was other funding that was raised. The funds total around $60 million and subsidize the insurance premiums for those who are signing up. Under the public charge rule, an undocumented resident who uses a welfare program, such as Medicare or food stamps, can be deemed a public burden and denied permanent residence in the U.S. This federal policy prevents many people without papers from getting government help, including insurance. Rowan explains that OmniSalud works around this public charge rule. So through OmniSalud, you know, we're getting basic demographics, name, address, phone number, um, date of birth, but we're not asking any immigration status. We're not requiring any income to be turned in. Um, and since it's not state or federal dollars, it does keep um, those community members outside of public charge. Across the state, interest in the program has been robust. There are only 10,000 spots available, and already about 7,000 have been filled up. Nadia Gonzalez, a cultural navigator with Tri-County Health, has been promoting the program in our region. She says they were ready for the outpouring of interest. We did really expect for everybody to take this opportunity to sign up, and we were prepared for our schedules to be full. A lot of people did have some concerns, you know, about this being affecting them in the future or going to like for their information to go towards places where it shouldn't. We talked to them and filled the information that they needed so that they would be comfortable enough to to go go through the process with us. Rowan says that Tri-County's engagement with the undocumented community has built up trust over the years, which has led to this high level of interest. And so when we're giving information um, to the community, the the information that we're giving is trusted, but we also have um, bilingual, um, bicultural staff that is embedded in the community. And so it's more around our staff um, that we have that's doing the outreach um, because they are trusted sources in those communities. Rowan says insurance is an essential piece of making health care equitable and affordable. This is true not only for families, but also for medical clinics, which sometimes have to cover costs when uninsured patients need care. And we know with health equity, insurance is one of the biggest barriers to people living their best lives. So you have a medical emergency and you, you know, rack up $50,000 in medical debt that leads to housing insecurity, food insecurity, transportation insecurities, job insecurity. And so... Being able to have your medical bills paid for is going to be huge. 
There's going to be so much savings, not only at the medical level, but at our community members' levels, they're not going to be put in that medical debt. Because it's a pilot program, the future of OmniSalud is somewhat unclear. But Gonzalez says those signing up now will have the opportunity to re-enroll in future years. She hopes the state will open up more spaces in the future. So for the ones that had enrolled for this year, they're going to have the opportunity to re-enroll for the next year. But definitely we do wish that there was more opportunities in the future so we can do this again. But we do not have, like, an accurate answer for that at the moment. Tri-County serves Delta, Montrose, and San Miguel counties. While the enrollment period is nearing its end, Gonzalez and Rowan encourage anyone interested in getting coverage to be in touch, either at tchnetwork.org or by calling 970-708-7096. After Demian Brooks bought the old hardware store building in Norwood, he started cleaning. I was cleaning out a lot of stuff that was left that, you know, it's been various businesses over the years and they have used a lot of different areas for storage. When he stumbled upon a surprising item. Deep in in, in the back of one of the storage rooms, I found two unopened Christmas presents. And I was like, that's really bizarre. And I went and looked at them and it said, Noel Night. Uh, door prizes. And just then, he had a light bulb moment. You know, this building has always been a mainstay of the Noel night, and it's going to be closed. So I thought to myself, what could we do here? And I thought about opening it up to all the craftspeople on the West End. With support from the town of Norwood waiving business licenses and taxes for the event, and Carrie Andrew, executive director of the Lone Cone Library and local business advocate, Brooks's idea came to life. The idea will come to fruition this Friday with the Norwood Noel Night Holiday Arts Bazaar. Boasting over 35 local craftsmen and artisans, Andrew says the event will be full of any holiday gift you could need. There's going to be baked goods um, for the senior class, raising money for a senior trip, um, to wreaths, those wooden sleds that people make, lampshade covers, jewelry, plants photos that are framed on canvas, leather goods. I mean, there's a lot of different things. There will be woodcrafts, quilts, dog bandanas. The crafts fair will take place in the old hardware store building with cookie decorating upstairs. Brooks notes it's the perfect opportunity to highlight the talent in the West End. I just felt like, you know, there's so many talented people out on the West End. And here's a chance for everyone to like show their creativity and come And everyone gets a 10 by 10 booth. All they have to do is bring their stuff and a table and set up. And um, it's a chance for people to spend money locally and keep money locally instead of sending it off to Jeff Bezos and sending your money to Seattle. Um, You can keep it local. Um, Support San Miguel County. Support the the amazing craftspeople that um, are inherent and, and plentiful in this community. Andrew adds the event celebrates Norwood's spirit. Norwood's always had a history of people who who made for themselves, who 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 were able that were so multi-talented that they were able to pretty much be um, standalone and support themselves, and they were independent and they're pioneers. And that homesteading idea is what founded Norwood. And so all of these crafts are things that came naturally, and they're just 
part of that legacy of where we started. And people still continue to make these types of crafts to decorate their homes because there's never been places to just go by. And it's a lot nicer to have something that was handcrafted than something that's plastic that will go in the landfill. And, you know, I'd rather have a wreath that's made from a real tree that then goes, can be composted and go back into, you know, creating fertile soil. And that's what Norwood's always been about is that homesteading. Norwood's Noel Night will kick off on Friday, December 2nd, with Santa and Fire Engine rides at 3.30. The Holiday Bazaar starts at 4 p.m. There will be a chilly cook-off, hay bale rides, cookie decorating, holiday portraits, and an ugly sweater party. The Parade of Lights will take place down Main Street at 6.15 p.m. The Holiday Bazaar will also take place on Saturday, December 3rd, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Perhaps known for bringing the world's biggest names in mountaineering and adventure filmmaking to our little canyon town, Mountain Film this week is throwing a party just for the locals. Billed as a locals-only pass event, the festival is hosting a sale in their offices at 122 South Oak Street on December 1st. Some passes are being sold at a discount, and the first 50 pass purchasers will get a free piece of Mountain Film swag. To sweeten the deal, there's coffee and donuts. The event runs from 10 a.m. till noon. Gather your friends, your knowledge, and your competitive spirit. The Wilkinson Public Library is teaming up with Stronghouse Brew Pub for a night of trivia. There will be prizes for winners and an opportunity to get signed up for a library card, so start studying now. Trivia will begin at 7 p.m. at Stronghouse on Thursday, December 1st. With another month already come and gone, it's time again for a Bardic Trails poetry circle. Placerville-based writer Rosemary Watola Traumer will be headlining the December installment of the series, and she brings to the event a one-word prompt, adjust. Traumer has published multiple books, many of which have collected accolades, and she also hosts the podcast Emerging Forms. After Traumer discusses her creative process and answers questions, the circle will open up to all. The event takes place on Zoom the evening of Tuesday, December 6 at 7, and pre-registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. Governor Jared Polis is taking a hard look at why Colorado's red flag gun law wasn't used in advance of the shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs. As KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports, he says the law needs to be strengthened. Under Colorado's red flag law, family members or police can request that a court temporarily remove someone's guns while they're experiencing a mental health crisis. Polis said on NBC's Meet the Press, the law should have been applied to the suspect in the Club Q shooting. There were signs in this uh, troubled uh, person's past that he would have been a threat. It could have instigated our red flag law to remove him from having custody over his weapons while he's experiencing that mental health crisis. Polis says red flag laws need to be more available and easier to implement. He says other factors that contribute to gun violence need to be addressed too, like mental health issues and discriminatory political rhetoric. Polis also called on a federal response. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. Tuesday marked another anniversary of the Sand Creek Massacre, 
the mass murder of at least 230 Cheyenne and Arapaho people by U.S. troops that took place on November 29, 1864. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Shannon Young has more. It was the largest mass murder in Colorado history, but the story about what happened has been largely kept out of textbooks and classrooms. Earlier this month, Colorado History opened an exhibit on the Sand Creek Massacre, this time in consultation with affected tribes and the descendants of survivors. Last month, I spoke with Fred Mosqueda, an Arapaho elder from Oklahoma, who has been working as a tribal representative in public education efforts and in talks with officials. In our home state of Oklahoma, you know, the, the governor there has uh, pretty well stopped any, any um, education. There is some teachers who will teach the history of the Shinarampo tribe as it happened. But you remember that the uh, in Oklahoma, we can't talk bad about the founding fathers. So that kind of stops as far as but but we do provide education in the schools, you know, as far as they will let us to tell our history. Colorado has opened their arms. They, they want to know they want to hear the real story. And so Colorado is a lot more open to hearing us tell the true story of the history during the treaty years. I always call them the treaty years for the Shinarapu tribe that was beginning in 1851 until 1867. They are more open. We can tell the stories that the schools and, and like down in Littleton, they're going to build a brand new elementary school and they're going to name it Little Raven elementary school as you know little raven was the um was very very instrumental in 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 taking care of the not only the rapos but the cheyennes during the treaty years he signed every treaty um with the united states government for the cheyenne rapo tribes for kgnu i'm shannon young The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Clouds are likely to increase throughout the day on Thursday. The high should be near 40. Thursday night calls for a chance of snow showers late with a low around 25. And snow is likely to continue Friday with a high near 30. Friday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around 15 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, November 30th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hello, CODA listeners. Wilkinson Public Library and Bright Futures are teaming up to bring you the 2022 Community Baby Shower. Please join us at the library on Sunday, December 11th. We'll kick off the shower at 10 a.m. with brunch, prenatal yoga, CPR and first aid demos, and resources for families and children. We'll end the shower at 12 p.m. with a raffle for a variety of prizes. Our baby gear exchange will follow from 12 to 3 p.m., so come take what you need and give what you don't. Good quality gear is welcome. Spanish interpretation will be available throughout the event. See you at the library. Hola, Radio Antes de Coto. 
La Biblioteca Pública de Wilkinson y Bright Futures se han unido para traerles el Baby Shower Comunitario de 2022. Únase a nosotros en la biblioteca el domingo 11 de diciembre. Comenzaremos con un almuerzo a las 10 en la mañana, seguido con yoga prenatal, demostraciones de RCP y primeros auxilios y recursos para la familia y los niños. El Baby Shower se terminará a las 12 con una rifa de premios. Nuestro intercambio de ropa y cosas para bebés seguirá de 12 a 3 p.m. Ojalá nos vemos el 11 de diciembre a las 10 a.m. en la biblioteca. Gracias y gracias a Coto. Hey everyone, I'm Ashley Cody Smith. And I'm Kelly Sheedy with Fountain Film. Festival passes go on sale Thursday, December 1st, and to celebrate our locals, stop on by the Mountain Film office for coffee and donuts at 122 South Oak Street from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. The first 50 people to purchase their pass in our office will get a free piece of Mountain Film swag. We have tote bags, coffee mugs, hats, and so much more. Come on down, buy your pass, or just say hey and eat some donuts. And don't forget to mark your calendars for the 45th Mountain Film Festival on May 25th through the 29th of 2023. We hope to see you Thursday. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.